welcome back to our Book Talk uh, segment of the show. Great to welcome back. Yeah, man's been with us uh, before uh, when his first edition of this book came out, and the brand-new second edition has come out now. It's called The Beer Bible, everything you want to know about beer and uh, what to drink, where, when, and why. We're joined today by Jeff Allworth uh, on the telephone. And, uh, Jeff, good to talk to you again. How are you? Uh, I'm great. Thanks for having me. I think uh, we're checking the archives. I guess it was 2015, right? That's when the, when the first edition came out. So about six years ago, we we had you on. It was great to talk to you then. So I guess you've been busy putting the second one together since then, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I have. Mostly in recent years. I didn't expect to have to put one out this quickly, but uh, it turns out there's a lot of changes happening in beer, and it uh, made me jump in and, uh, you know, try to document what's going on. So uh, here we are six years later, and I have a new edition now. I was going to say, I mean, uh, with beer, and uh, it seems to me now, even since the first edition came out, I know we talked about it before, but so many microbreweries, I know down here where we are in Sarasota and Tampa Bay, Florida, there's quite a few of them. I guess that's kind of been the biggest change in, uh, I guess, in beer distribution or sales, right, uh, in the last 20, 25 years, the, the microbreweries. Am I right about that? Yeah, it has been uh, huge the way American craft brewing has, has uh, evolved. Uh, the, even the existence of American craft brewing is unusual for most drinkers we you know most people didn't know that uh you know where their beer came from they just assumed it came from a giant plant somewhere and uh <laughs> nobody knew that you could start a brewery until uh, craft breweries did it you know they didn't know you could make a little brewery and and sell it at the corner brew pub uh, and, and so once americans figured that out that business model became popular now you see that business model replicated around the world um and you see the explosion of, of uh, breweries in the United States. I think when we talked last, there were probably about 4,000 breweries in the United States, and now there are over 9,000. Mm. Uh, so we're, we're really seeing uh, quite quite a, a revolution in, in terms of business models and uh, you know, approaches to making beer. And I'm sure uh, I, when I did my first, the, the, the beer tour, uh, the book tour the first time, I stopped in Tampa at a new brewery there, and uh, I was really astonished at, at Tampa's uh, scene, and uh, you know you're seeing that everywhere. If, if, if you're in a town of any size, you're going to have a lot of local breweries to go to, and I think that that means that people are really drinking more and more good beer. I used to work at uh, Bush Gardens for a long time ago for about a year, and uh, that was part of their. A deal you could walk through if you worked there you got uh, i think two cases a month for free but you could walk through the uh, brewery right on uh, on the park there and that's where they brewed i don't think they do it anymore since they sold but uh, but that was uh, that was the big one there for bush beer and budweiser yes yeah, that's a classic tech uh, technique in uh payment historically uh anybody who worked for breweries would get some beer uh, from the brewery and uh, you see that less and less now uh, but that was always uh, kind of a, a classic thing. And if you talk to, especially in Europe, if you talk to brewers who worked at uh, old European breweries, they'll tell you about all the beer they used to get and share with their family. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's a nice perk if you happen to work at one. I I, I guess uh, you know we're kind of conditioned. You know, you grew up. I grew up a sports fan, and all the games, baseball in particular. You know, sponsored mostly by. Uh, New York with Schaefer and then uh, Rheingold and Ballantine uh, beers. And you kind of think, well, maybe there's four or five. Miller was another one, uh, you know, those great Miller commercials. And you think maybe there's only four or five. But like you said now, with all the uh, smaller breweries and even microbreweries, uh, 
you really have to kind of do some research, I guess, into finding the beer that kind of best for you, right? I mean, if you want just regular beer, that's fine. But I guess all these microbreweries and smaller ones have different uh, appeals to different kind of tastes, right? Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, as we have more and more breweries, they're becoming more and more specialist breweries. So you'll find uh, smaller breweries that really focus on you know lagers or maybe uh, farmhouse styles or you know just just anything uh, that they're interested in. So you know you, you as a consumer, yeah, you do. <laughs> it does make things a little bit more complicated, uh, especially if you're just looking for kind of a classic beer that you're uh, you know maybe familiar with from from back in the day. Those are not always so easy to find anymore. I don't know if we mentioned it last time we talked about it, but I had just recently seen, maybe it just came out then, where you see beer advertised with lime in it. I'd never heard of that before. I guess that's relatively new. I mean, that's, again, one of the different kind of flavors in beer with lime in it. That's kind of an odd combination, but I guess people like it, huh? Well, yeah, lime is actually, you know, if you think about Mexican beer, they're often served with citrus, and that's a kind of a classic presentation. Um, we're seeing more and more beer made with other fruits, which is less common, but uh, m- many of the hops that are used in making beer have a fruity flavor, and it, and it encourages brewers to think, hey, well, if we can get you know this flavor of uh, 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 grapefruit uh, out of this uh, particular hop variety, what happens if we just put actual grapefruit in it? And mm. so things were off to the races. But, but yeah, lime is uh, a classic. Uh, you know, I, I'm over here on the West Coast, and we have a lot of Mexican restaurants and, you know, you order a Modelo and they'll put a, uh, a wedge of lime on it. Um, so that's, that's uh, kind of an obvious choice is like, well, why, why are we putting it on the side of the beer? Why don't we just put it in the beer? Now, with beer, I mean, you mentioned it's made out of hops, I guess barley, uh, wheat, I suppose. How, how really, how much change in taste can you make it without adding something to it? Or, or is the, you know, the, the barley hops and whatever else grain is put into it, is that different now or is that changing? Well, that's a, yeah, actually you can make beers taste radically different just with the, the without adding anything into it. Uh, the, the four ingredients uh, that, that brewers use, uh, barley malt, hops, uh, water, and yeast, those four ingredients can get you basically any flavor you want, depending mm. on how you combine them and how you prepare them and how you, uh, which process you use to brew. Uh, so it's a, it's a very diverse, uh, product and you know even before you get into adding stuff once you start adding stuff then basically you can make it taste like anything but even that even just using the four tech uh, four classic ingredients and using different techniques uh, it can be quite a diverse product yeah. and that's that's actually one of its more uh, i think endearing quality before we run out of time let's give the audience uh uh, an idea of the changes uh, since the first edition. I know kind of, you know, going through the book myself, uh, you give so many different places uh, you can go visit uh, to, to try different types of beers. What, what was the biggest change you had to make or biggest update you had to make in the second edition? Yeah, I think it was mostly around the kind of beers that American craft breweries make, which are uh, usually called IPAs or have the word IPA in them. Um, these are the the, uh, the beers that are made with local American hops, which are quite assertive and strong. And for a long time, we didn't really know how to make beer with them without overwhelming it. And then in the, the, the late uh, 2000s and early 2010s, brewers really developed these new techniques uh, to brew with them to make these IPAs, which have become super popular. And all of that happened, a lot of that happened after I wrote the first edition. So I needed to return to the book and update how they did that because it's now influential worldwide. 
So it's, uh, it's quite a trend in, in the world, and it's all starting right here in the United States. Yeah. And again, uh, Jeff Allworth also hosts uh, a podcast called Beer Vana, right? You still do that? I do, yeah. Yeah, with my friend who's an Oregon State University economics professor. We talk about beer <laughs> and well, that's great. And again, uh, just about everything you want to know about beer, where to go visit. you got great pictures in there as well, but uh, all the different types of beer. And uh, I guess you have an interesting life, Jeff. You can go around and do a lot of taste testing. That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> it is indeed. The Beer Bible Second Edition is the name of the book. And Jeff, give out your website again, if you will. People can get more information on the book. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, beervanablog.com. Uh, and uh, every all my writing and all my book stuff is there, so check it out. Great, and I guess uh, as beer continues to change, uh, I would imagine there'll be a third edition somewhere down the line, right? <laughs> I yeah, hope so. Changes, I'll write about it. <laughs> Love to have you back at that time, but in the meantime, we invite people to get the second edition of the Beer Bible. And Jeff Olwith, uh, great to talk to you again, and uh, we'll do it again down the road. Thanks for being with us. All right, thanks so much. I'm Stan Brock. 30 years ago, I formed Remote Area Medical to help people overseas. But then we found generations of families in America isolated by poverty from the healthcare they need. Together, we can take dental, vision, and medical help to a million adults and their kids right here at home in the United States of America.